Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova Said. I'm a host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Dominique Hoffman about the novel that she recently translated from Ukrainian and Russian into English. Olena Stashkina's Cecil the Lion Had to Die, forthcoming in 2024 from Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute. Dominique uh, Hoffman holds a degree in Russian history and a doctorate in Slavic languages and literatures from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She has taught courses in Russian language, history, and culture, and her previous translations include scientific art and historical publications. Hello, Dominique. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Natalia. Thanks for inviting me. I love talking about this novel. (laughs) Well, congratulations on completing the translation of one of the most compelling novels, I would say, written after the initial 2014 stage of Russia's war against Ukraine. Yeah, thank you so much. So the original text was published in 2021. So I always ask translators how they choose the books that they want to translate. Because in my opinion, you commit yourself to at least a few months of intense work. And um, I assume one probably has to have some sort of attachment to the work or fascination with the writer's styles so that the process of translation is something that gives some sort of satisfaction and inspiration. And Olena Stashkina is one of the most well-known writers in Ukraine today. She's also a researcher, a historian by training, and she writes academic works as well. And you also have a degree in history. So what was your first encounter with uh, Olena Stashkina and her works? Yeah, so somewhere late in 2021, I think, um, Razom in their book club had read Dashkina and was reading another book I was interested in. And when I went to one of their meetings, this Cecil the Lion came up and I thought, well, I, I need, I have to read that. It just sounded so fascinating. Um, and so 
in the middle of February of 2022, my son had winter break and Seth of the Lion was the book I took on vacation with me. <laughs> and of course, everyone was talking war at that time, but nobody was really sure what was going to happen. Um, and I read that book and I just thought it was one, as you said, one of the most compelling things to come out in recent years about what's been going on. I absolutely loved it and just thought, who's going to get to translate this? Because it's so challenging, but it's such a great story. And the voices, the characters are just so intriguing. It's terrific. Um, and then, like, strangely enough, three weeks later, I was on a call with another Ukrainian translator who said, have you ever heard of Olena Stiashkina? We're looking for a translator for this book she wrote, something about Cecil the Lion. And I said, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> I see. So uh, could we describe in general terms the background of the novel? It was written in the wake of Russia's occupation of the Crimea and parts of the Donbass. And in 2021, Ukraine has been fighting, had been fighting against Russia for seven years already. So as you said that um, in 2022, uh, everyone was talking about was, what was going on um, in Ukraine, but still we were at that stage before February 24th of 2022. Uh, so what's the novel about? Yeah, so the premise of the novel, it starts in 1986, and the local Communist Party official, it's in Soviet Ukraine, and the local Communist Party official has decided that he would like to convince a couple of a family to name their child after the German communist freedom fighter Ernst Tellmann. Um, and so that's the opening of the book. And these four families meet in the maternity ward. Two of them, in fact, do take him up on his offer. <laughs> um, but the families end up linked for forever. They become some sort of what they call like a strange family, not family. Um, and so we start in Soviet Ukraine in 1986, of course, free Ukraine in 1991, um, all the changes that happen in Eastern Ukraine, and then the Russian invasion in 2014. Um, and we see how different individuals in these families, both the adults and the children who are now adult by the time to, adults by the time 2014 rolls around, how they respond, which ones support the Russian aggression, which ones support a free Ukraine. Um, and I always say the arc of this novel is really from fear to freedom. The language transitions from Russian to Ukrainian. It travels from Soviet Ukraine to a free Ukraine. Cecil, uh, the line had uh, to die, I would say is a um, complex book and it's structured in a very interesting way because there are multiple threads and they um, intertwine at some point and then they um, go each way um, uh, individually. So, and I remember we had this conversation recently and you mentioned that you did go to Ukraine uh, recently as well. 
For those who are wondering what this book can teach them about Ukraine or what this book can tell them about Ukraine today and its people, um, how would you describe this message of the book? I think one of the beauties of this book is that it works on several different levels. Um, with these four families and these very quirky characters, you you can just readily read it as a really interesting story. Mm -hmm. um, and the chapters are short, the descriptions are interesting, and you could stop there. On the other hand, if you have some background knowledge of Ukraine or you're wanting to learn more, um, Olena Stiashkina's background as a history writer absolutely permeates this novel, but not through history lessons, but through the materialization of history, what the objects of daily life are. Um, there are these wonderful passages of when Western cartoons were becoming very popular in Ukraine in the 1990s. Um, there's one character who claims that she was the first child in Ukraine to have a Tamagotchi and kill a Tamagotchi. <laughs> and so these like little peaks and glimpses into the changes in everyday life are one of, I think, the really valuable and, and honestly fun parts of the novel. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you have uh, one specific part of the novel that would be your favorite? And I'm asking this question because I attended some of the talks uh, that you gave and Olena Stashkina gave, and I know how invested you are as a reader, as a translator in this project. Um, wow, that's really hard. There's so, like, there are just... The way the novel's written is it's essentially these chapters of maybe four to ten pages that are little vignettes from life. And so when I think about favorite parts, I'll choose one, like where um, the character Haska goes back to Donetsk during while the Russian invasion is happening, and it's still sort of undercover at that time. And there's this very intense, emotional, and hilarious scene with one of the parents who's chosen to stay behind in occupied Donetsk. Um, and there's this um, question Olena asked me of sort of these are her children, and what is it like for me as a translator um, with my foster children was the word she mm -hmm. used. Mm -hmm. And um, this character who stayed behind, Panya, Elena didn't even want to hear the passage from Tanya. She's so angry with Tanya for what's happening today and how what's happening today is a consequence of what happened in 2014 and what people like Tanya allowed to happen. Um, but for me, Tanya's not my child. I'm not angry at her in the same way because she comes into my life as a full-blown character and I'm more like the director. I just have to make sure she plays her role fully and richly, and she does that so beautifully <laughs> um, that her irrationality, her rage, her unjustness um, is just more interesting for me as a translator, as a writer trying to find her voice. So I do love that passage. Um, another character, Bohdan, 
um, like struggles with silence. And so there's this passage where he's trying to look into himself and all he can find in himself is a big hole, but it describes all the things that are there. And again, it's that very materiality of Olena's prose of what a character who doesn't know himself finds if he looks into the abyss mm-hmm. and the abyss looks back at you. <laughs> so I just, I could go on and on. Like the, the novel for me is this series of not quite images because very often it's the voice. So I'll say vignettes, but it's really these like images, these moments that just so encapsulate a particular personality or a particular historical aspect of Ukraine through that personality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the uh, uh, novel is written in Ukrainian and in Russian, and uh, I know the answer to this question, but I would like you to uh, tell us again how this uh, switch from Ukrainian to Russian was handled through the translation, because it's one of the things that were not resolved in the past, for instance. Since I know the question, uh, the answer, I would also like you to uh, tell a little bit about other options that probably were available to you while you were looking for that uh, solution, how to show to readers who probably don't know either Ukrainian or Russian, um, how this switch was taking place in the book. Sure. Yeah, it was definitely... Uh... A unique challenge in this text and really interesting and one aspect of it is that often when you have two different languages um, or a very strong dialect they're being used to mark different um, milieus like here's the Yiddish community and they speak in this particular way or here's the Um, Polish gangsters, and they speak in this particular way. And that's not the case with this novel. It's the same characters in similar situations using different languages. And as Olena said in one of her interviews, she wanted to show how easy it was to -hmm. transition from Russian to English. So I couldn't do it through language because the language used was deliberately not markedly different from her text. So then the question, so then it seemed natural that it was going to need to be a visual solution. Mm -hmm. Um, So could we do blue for Ukrainian, blueprint for Ukrainian, and red for Russian? It was hard to imagine that was ever going to look good. Could we do one in italics? That was one that comes to people's minds quite readily, but mm-hmm. I was very much against that from the beginning because we have certain associations with italics. Either mm-hmm. it's emphasized text or it's mm-hmm. less important text, but in any case, it has an implication when you use italics. Um, the solution when I submitted the manuscript was I used two different fonts Mm -hmm. from the same family so that they would theoretically coordinate with each other, but be distinguishable. Mm -hmm. Um, I used a serif and a sans serif font for the two. So you could see if you were really interested, but it wouldn't jump out at you, Mm -hmm. Um, which seemed to be in accordance with sort of Olena's initial intentions for the language. Um, But we knew all along that it was going to be up to the book designer. (laughs) 
what they were going to do with this because I talked with the publisher um, from the very beginning. And so it was like, you know, there's going to be a book designer who's going to okay. have to deal with this problem. <laughs> um, so I sent it in and then it came back and they had chosen to put white print on black paper mm-hmm. for the Russian portions and black print normal, like black on white for the Ukrainian portions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the novel isn't that neatly separated out. It's not just page to page. It's line to line, character to character at times, paragraph to paragraph. So you get these little passages that are a dash of white, a dash of black. Um, and it was so visually arresting and like, honestly, beautiful. Yeah, it is. But I also wasn't sure. I just thought, yeah, but she said she wanted it to be very smooth, almost imperceptible to Mm -hmm. the Ukrainian reader. And this is absolutely not that. (laughs) (laughs) And I wrote back to the, um, to Alec, to the publisher. And I said, it looks stunning. But this is what she said about it in the past. But it's possible she's changed her mind Mm -hmm. because a lot has changed since February 24th, 2022. Um, And we do have to come up with a solution that works. And this is visually intriguing. They wrote to her. She said, yes, absolutely do it. This Mm -hmm. is the right solution. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I'd seen it on the screen, I knew it was gorgeous. But when I saw the book, it was more beautiful and more effective than I could even guess from the screen. Because when you hold the book up and you look at the side, you can visually see the transitions from Russian to Ukrainian. The first portion of the book with the black pages, the latter portion with the white, the points where they're interspersed because the book isn't all chronological. So we have a chapter that's all in Ukrainian sort of near the beginning of the book, and then we go back to mostly Russian. Um, Being able to see there's one character who always uses Ukrainian, being able to see that all the way through the book so um, visually is really helpful, really useful. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so that's the way the design came out. And every time I have the book in hand with someone, I have to show them and flip through the pages like a little flip book. Look at this transition. (laughs) But it really works. It really works very well. Yes, uh, it was a very good uh, decision uh, to do it uh, this way. But I'm wondering um, how you were translating these texts that were written in Ukrainian and in Russian. Did it feel like a very smooth transition for you? Or uh, it was more like a switch from one language to another? Because I read the book um, in the original and sometimes I wasn't even paying attention <laughs> what what language the text was uh, written in. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which is what Olena said her intention right. was, mm-hmm. and that's exactly how I read it as well. I see. Um, mm-hmm. I had to be very attentive in marking the fonts um, while translating and check myself because the way the language, like, for me, language is about meaning mm-hmm. and translation is about voice. And... I think people who are bilingual or more have different ways of processing language. And mine is very much intuitive and meaning based. Mm -hmm. And so I'll I'll hand someone a book in Cyrillic 
without even noticing that I'm giving them something in an alphabet they don't recognize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they, um, it's really about meaning for me. So yes, it felt to me too, like I was switching and hardly Mm -hmm. noticing Mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. And um, how would you say uh, Olena Stashkina treats this uh, change from one language to another? Um, I'm asking this question because um, there is another book uh, by um, Volodymyr Fayenko Mondegrin where he also uh, tries to um, learn, in fact, um, the Ukrainian language after being very... um, uh, successful in terms of writing in uh, Russian, and it's a completely different way of treating uh, this kind of transition from Ukrainian, uh, from Russian uh, to Ukrainian. Uh, and his philosophy, probably, of this transition is quite different from Olenis. So, how does what does this transition for Olenis Tashkina uh, mean? Um. Yeah, I'd say it's very different from Rafayenko's. Um, and she talks about y- Ukrainian writing and Ukrainian speaking in Ukrainian as coming home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's very adamant about it. When people use the word transition, which is the most commonly word used word in English for this, people are transitioning from Russian to Ukrainian. Olena always corrects them. She says no. This is not transitioning. This is not moving from. This is coming home. Mm -hmm. And so she really emphasizes the ways in which it can be effortless. It's really important to her um, that it's viewed as something that's natural, Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. difficult or painful. Um, And she describes in this novel, I said, there's a chapter near the beginning that's all in you. Ukrainian. It's set later in the book, but she described she didn't intend to write that in Ukrainian. She was just writing her novel. All of her novels have been in Russian before this. Um, although I understand some of her monographs or all of them have been in Ukrainian. So she certainly had experience writing in Ukrainian for her history work. But she was three pages into this chapter when she realized that she was writing in Ukrainian. And that she, it was, this um, chapter is set on the front lines in 2014. And she couldn't write in Russian about Mm -hmm. that, is what she said. Um, So her sense is that Ukrainian is really a a safe space of safety. So what are the topics and what are the motifs that this book uh, somehow uh, highlights uh, in your uh, opinion? Uh, At the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that uh, there are uh, some uh, episodes that touch upon the silence. And I would also add to that uh, there is some sense of the failure of communication, particularly between generations. Uh, There is this episode, at least this uh, narrative, thread uh, with the mother and her daughter and the mother uh, constantly yells at her daughter telling her that she failed she failed as a daughter she failed as an employee she 
failed as a wife and the daughter just um, doesn't doesn't have much to say in response to to, to her mother but apparently there is some uh, difficulty in terms of communication between the uh, uh, generations however when I spoke with Olena Stashkina and uh, I also asked her this question about the failure of communication she also mentioned that our younger generation is much kinder than we were when we were their age. So she said, well, I don't think that we completely failed in terms of bringing up a new generation in Ukraine. So what are those topics which are significant for you as a reader, for instance? I'd say one of the threads that really carries through is fear mm-hmm. as the center of existence in the Soviet Union. Like I always wonder because I've really been following closely Ukrainian conversations since the end of 2013-2014 and when you hear they're fighting for freedom it's like what does that mean freedom? Mm-hmm. Like really what does that mean? Would we fight for that? Does it mean that I can go out and protest what my government does. I mean, it means that, but most people I know in America have never done that. (laughs) Is there something um, about freedom that we value, but we don't call it that? And um, this overwhelming sense of fear that the characters are remember from before and that they want to move beyond Um, and a world of possibility that can open up without that fear. Um, And it's interesting, you mentioned Tanya as a daughter whose mother is constantly telling her how inadequate she is. Um, Bohdan is another character who's very gripped by fear. And those characters are the ones who remain with the Russian language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Think the character who's so equivocal and peculiar and sets this whole thing in motion. Um, there's a moment years on in 2020 when someone starts uh, yelling at him for what he's doing and talks about war propaganda. If someone is defending free Ukraine, she comes up with the Russian propaganda lines, but we're brothers, but I'm for peace. And he Mm -hmm. feels, and there's this line, something like he feels a wave of fear come over him, like the red banners waved over the city, loomed over the city of Donetsk years ago. But he draws on rage and is able to counteract that fear. He has a new resource, this rage. And I'd say that that is a thread in much of Olena's work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and in her interviews Mm -hmm. is the ways in which that anger is part of the path to freedom, is not being willing to accept it anymore. Um, And the other is this uh, idea of possibility and the character... Um, One of the families raises the children, you know, starting in 1986 in Soviet Ukraine and then also much later and what it's like raising a child um, in an environment of control and expecting to control them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in particular authoritarian ways and wanting to raise a child who has a world of possibility and freedom open to her and the ways that that make changes your choices right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of this uh, notion of freedom, right? So how would you situate this book in the uh, Ukrainian context? What's the, what does it tell us about how the Ukrainians, for instance, embrace maybe this notion of freedom and uh, how they uh, create that meaning for freedom. It's not its not an empty word, so to speak, right? It's not one of those words that we use all the time to the point where it uh, doesn't mean anything. Right. And um, telling the truth mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to say the truth um, not being afraid, um, taking responsibility yeah. mm-hmm. for your actions. Um, yeah, I don't think I have a shorter answer than that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. So what was the most challenging part for uh, translating this uh, uh, novel, apart from uh, that Russian-Ukrainian uh, text yeah. that had to be handled um, somehow? So one of the things that I, I hope there will be dissertations written about is the materiality of Olena's conception of the mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm. As a historian, um, I think her most recent book is called Smakradyanskoho, which is something like, tastes like Soviet. <laughs> um, and it's much of, it's about like the very concrete food culture. And she links that with a, very abstract authoritarian governance and how those things are intertwined. In this novel, we see the same thing in terms of, I mentioned earlier, the ways in which objects signify larger cultural trends. Um, But she also does it with language itself. Mm -hmm. So she'll take a very tired idiom. um, Let's see, let the dust settle. And she will extend that metaphor into something concrete and abstract simultaneously for pages on end. But then the metaphor doesn't exist in English. The idiom doesn't exist. So how how am I going to do anything with that? And um, one example was she has, I think, in the very first chapter, talking about how things played out from that very first day in 1986 when these children were born and all the downstream consequences for these families. And she talks about the suhoya statak, which is essentially, as I understand it, and you can correct me, is the valuable precipitate that's left in a chemical process. (laughs) Um, And this is in part of the Russian portion of the novel. And... So the Sukhoya Stathik is this like the valuable thing that's left when everything else dissipates. Mm -hmm. We don't use that in English. (laughs) And yet it goes on for pages of what's dry, what's wet, what's contaminated, what's purified, what. um, And I think I started with pure essence on that Mm -hmm. and played with what was essential, what was contaminated. Um. And then, but we ended up with letting the dust settle. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that involved flipping the metaphor because the dust is not a positive thing. It's not that pure essence you're looking for. Um, But it did allow us to play with this idea of it getting 
um, mixed with other things, it floating around, it landing in a, unexpected places, and it being very dry, because at one point the Sukhoi Athatik becomes part of the Berlin Wall falling down because mm -hmm. it goes through everything, mm -hmm. and it becomes very dry at that point. And so the dust settling worked with that. But she uses language in these very concrete ways frequently. Mm -hmm. And so coming up with new puns or new word plays or new rhymes that aren't the same but are equivalent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to maintain mm -hmm. that voice, um, that was definitely the most challenging. It was never dull. It mm -hmm. was never translating one formal sentence after another until I had a novel. <laughs> and um, how involved was Olena Stashkina in the translation process? You know, she completely handed it over to me. Uh -huh. um, and I asked her a few questions early on, because uh, we like, for instance, the title, um, we mm -hmm. changed and mm -hmm. that I was not going to do without mm -hmm. her. Um, and it very much exemplifies my approach to the novel. So I think that sort of talking around that moment and a few more sort of built that trust between us. She mm -hmm. felt that I was doing in English what she did in Ukrainian and Russian. Um, so, yeah, because the title, I think the first translations I saw of the, of the title were something like Cecil the Lion's Death was meaningful or Cecil mm -hmm. the Lion's mm -hmm. Death had meaning. Um, which lexically is closer to what her title is, mm -hmm. but not what her title does, um, which is something I always am looking closely at as a literary translator in particular is what the words are doing, not just what they're saying. Um, and the title in Ukrainian is so punchy. It's, um, forgive my pronunciation, but smirts leva sesila mala sense, five words. So what five strong stresses in short words, which is quite unusual sounding for Ukrainian. It's very powerful and forceful. Um, these repeated sounds, the S, the L, the M, again, have this sort of driving force. When you say those words, it's um, powerful. And the malus sense is made sense or had meaning. And it's very provocative to say that anyone's death made sense. You walk into the bookstore, you see this title, you read it, and you're immediately provoked to pick it up. Like, what's this about? What, what do you mean made sense? Why are you killing off a lion? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this phrase kept coming to me as I was working with the literal translations, like, Cecil the lion had to die. And I talked with a few Ukrainians who were just like, no, you can't do that. That's not what it says. And it's like, no, it's not what it says. But it is what it does. When somebody hears that title, when they read that title, you need to know what is that about? What do you mean he had to die? Um, and so that was an early moment where I sent that to her and said, what do you think? And she was immediately like, yes, that's the title. That's the one. Mm -hmm. um, so from that moment, like there were moments when I, when I had to like really go out on a limb on something, I would check in with her, but she was pretty much always like, yes, do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So um, and she's kind of a fearless person herself, not even kind of, that's who she is. And I think she approached the translation of this novel in the same way, I think. Like find the person to trust and then let go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you and Olena Stashkina just had a book tour across uh, American uh, campuses, including Harvard and Princeton. And I'm wondering, what was the student's response to Olena Stashkina's work and probably uh, her uh, colleagues, writers, as well as literary scholars? Because, of course, well, uh, there is uh, some interest in Ukrainian literature today compared to other years, right, previous years when there was barely any interest in Ukrainian literature. And um, unfortunately, to, to, to a large extent, this interest is triggered by uh, Russia's war against um, uh, Ukraine, and there is this intrigue about uh, Ukraine and Ukrainians. So how come they're not surrendering? How come they don't want to give up? And they fight for freedom, about which we just uh, talked about. So um, what were students and colleagues' uh, comments about the work in general, and what is it that is so intriguing for wider audiences in terms of uh, Ukraine today? Yeah, so each event was a somewhat different audience, and unfortunately, with the book not being out yet, very Mm -hmm. few people had read it, Mm -hmm. um, the translation, and the one place she did speak where people had read it was um, Amelia Glaser at, I think, UCSD, mm-hmm. taught the book from the preprints, which I just love that, like fearless, like she must have put it on her syllabus without ever having seen the translation. <laughs> um, and she said her students loved it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very eager to see it in more classes, mm-hmm. uh, more mm-hmm. classrooms in the coming Um, years, because I really think it does provide a great opportunity for professors to talk with their students about what's happening and assign a really excellent piece of literature at the same time. Um, I think it's very accessible. Um, Elaine and I did four events together, but she had something like 18, 20 while she was here. Um, And as I understand it, each one was very different. But like I say, mostly people who had not read the novel, Mm -hmm. entirely people who had not read the novel in English. So we still have to wait to see more what moments capture people's attention. Um, When we read in Seattle, we read at the local bookstore rather than on campus, which was nice because it made for a more diverse group attending. It was really a mix of Ukrainian expats, professors from the University of Washington here, um, community members who were interested in Ukraine. And Olena is just such a powerful voice for Ukraine today. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people just really appreciate that, her honesty, her openness. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for our event here, the very first question was, um, what about Baba and Shubin, these two magical characters she has? <laughs> and of course she had a beautiful answer. And then for the second question, we had to say, it's okay if you haven't read the book and don't know the characters, because that was, of course, from someone who'd read the book in Ukrainian. Right. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll have to see what English 
audiences that pick up on it. Yeah, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, you're hoping that uh, dissertations will be written on this novel, and I'm sure there will be dissertations and at one of the uh, larger conferences, right? <laughs> uh, there right. was already a presentation on on, on this book. So I'm sure, I'm sure we will hear more about this novel in the in in the academic uh, context. But uh, I also uh, wanted to ask you how you see your role as a translator. And of course, the current uh, Russo-Ukrainian war cannot somehow put some political shade on translators who work with um, uh, Ukrainian texts, for instance. So, do you believe that translators can be or should be political? I think that translation is always political. Mm -hmm. The ways we choose our texts mm -hmm. are political because, as you said, literary translators tend to choose their texts to some extent. It's very rare for publishers to be coming to us and offering texts. Um, and so what we choose is very significant. Um, I know for many translators, it's been difficult because before the war, they were working with um, writers from Russia and writers from Ukraine. And then a large number of Ukrainian writers will not appear at an event that has citizens of the Russian Federation mm -hmm. at it mm -hmm. or representatives of Russian literary culture. And so that puts the translator in a challenging position on how to manage that. I keep it simple for myself. I'm only working with Ukrainian literature. I'm able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I still work from Ukrainian and from Russian, but entirely mm -hmm. from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. And uh, what are you working on right now? Oh, I have a few little projects. <laughs> Um, in the works, um, mm -hmm. right now finishing, um, going through first round of edits on Alexei Nikitin's Adlitagnia, mm -hmm. which is a large, remarkable novel about World War II um, that I started work with Catherine O'Neill as a co-translator. It was her project, and she brought me in on it um, close to two years ago. Mm -hmm. It was two years ago when we started on it. Um, but working on first round of edits for that, and hopefully that'll be out next year as mm -hmm. well. Looking forward to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see. So that's, that's really the one right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, good luck. And uh, again, well, I'm looking forward to your new translations. And uh, thank you so much for completing this translation. Um, uh, Olena Stashkina's Cecil the Line Had uh, to Die, which offers a very entertaining story on the one hand, but also uh, helps readers to uh, better understand probably Ukraine and uh, its people, and also sheds light on the um, war that Russia launched against Ukraine in 2014. And it also creates this kind of continuum that the war itself didn't start in 2022. It actually started back in 2014. And um, the book itself also helps uh, to contextualize the essence of Ukrainians' um, fight and resistance today. Uh, thank you so much for this important translation, Dominique. Thank you so much for having me.
Today I spoke with Dominique Hoffman about Olena Stashkina's Cecil the Lion Had to Die, forthcoming from Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2024. Thank you for listening to New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.